Hi, my name is Antonia Dominguez. And I'm Linda Coogan. And you're listening to Wine, the long and the short of it. In proud partnership with Give Wine a Future. How well do you know your wines? From the simple to the complex, from acidity to Symphondel. Welcome to Wine, the long and the short of it. My name is Antonia Dominguez, the long. And my name is Linda Coogan, the short. Between us, we have over 30 years collective experience in wine buying, wine retail and wine education. Every week we discuss a topic, product or trend from the world of wine. Hi everyone, this week's episode is about all things know and low and we are delighted to have a special guest with us today, someone who happens to be a good friend of mine. She is a leading expert on know and low alcoholic beverages and she is the business development and sales director for BevZero, a company that specializes in de-alcoholization services and products and a global leader in this field. She also happens to be a fellow student of mine in the Master of Wine program at stage two now and she is a former IWSC winner of the Emerging Talent in Wine Award. God, that was a mouthful at M. We're <laughs> delighted to have you on this episode, albeit remotely. Thanks so much for being with us. How are you? Thank you. What an intro. Thank you so much, Antonia. Thank you so much, Linda. I'm a big fan of you girls, so it is a pleasure to be here with you today. Oh. Thank you so much. Listen, we really appreciate it, especially this morning, because we know you're just back from a very busy trip. You were attending, well, not attending, you were presenting at the Wine Future Conference in Portugal. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, actually, I think it's a, a great time that we do this um, episode of On Law On Law after coming uh, from this Wine Future Conference. Three full days of panels amazing topics, speakers, and where we were, we have been discussing about the wine trade, the obstacles or the opportunities and what's happening in the future uh, or what is happening currently and what's going to happen in the future. Um, I am afraid to say that it is a little bit concerning <laughs> the future of the wine because mm-hmm. wine consumptions are decreasing year after year, uh, but also this is uh, creating opportunities, I think, in the in the wine uh, trade. And so one of the opportunities is no law, but it was a great experience to be with all these experts and to be able to have a chance to discuss what is happening and what the future is expecting. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. Did anything particularly surprising come out of it for you? Um, yes and no. Um, obviously, you know, we have been in wine trade for a long time and Antonia, uh, you and I, we have been studying for Master of Wine and we are very into, you know, we are in very into data and what's happening. So this part was not surprising, uh, that, you know, wine consumption is decreasing year after year and wine, uh, trade is competing with spirits, beer, the new categories, RTDs. However, uh, the surprising part was still how in the wine trade we are still afraid of the new developments and um, new opportunities and still seeing them as a threat instead of uh, embracing them and using mm-hmm. as our for our advantage. Yeah, that's interesting. By the way, I meant to say poor Linda is sitting there like a mute. <laughs> Linda has <laughs> has more or less lost her voice. I'll, I'll no. croak in every now and again, but um, I'm having hot drinks in between this. So yeah. um, 
probably some low alcohol is needed for me over the weekend, I think. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So it should be nice and quiet for a change. (laughs) Linda. Um, You'll, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll have a few laughs anyway. But uh, yeah, no, this is a a very interesting um, topic. Um, And like, again, we'll get into all the bits and pieces. But I suppose I personally would only have ever drank um, low or no alcohol when I was uh, either expecting a baby (laughs) of two of them. And, um, you know, if you're on antibiotics or you're sick, you tend not to have alcohol. Um, But that's kind of the only reason. Or if you were a recovering alcoholic, there are the three reasons why people normally wouldn't have drank alcohol, whereas now it's an emerging category completely where the the new younger demographics coming out are just not interested in alcohol. And it is really interesting to see um, what is happening. But as you said, it's really opportunities for different things to happen. So I'm really looking forward to learning more about the category um, from you um, with your expertise. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to discussing this with you. And Linda, what you said is I think it's very, very important because before this products or no alcohol was seen as a sacrifice for different reasons. And I am from Turkey. I think 95% of the country is uh, Muslim. So also there's a big reason for no alcohol, uh, you know, for religious reasons or if you're a designated driver. So before these products were as a sacrifice, but now since, um, let's say a couple of years, maybe five, six, and especially COVID accelerated as well. Now it's seen as a passage to an independence of a more, uh, mindful and healthier lifestyle and now it is a choice it's not only a sacrifice so I think mm-hmm. that is a very important difference between the consumer types as well yeah yeah I want to move on to talk about um I we will revisit that about who is who is consuming no and low but um to start with can can we just can you talk us through the technical side of it at um what is the definition of no and low and how is it made um, yeah, I started actually in the Vine Conference panel, my speech with exactly this, with the definitions, because I mean, obviously when we're talking about no, no, there's opportunities, but there's also obstacles. There's the good and the bad and the ugly side, because it's now like a wild west of of the of the whole non-law definitions one of the main problems also for consumers and for the trade is the definitions we don't have um a globalization or global harmony in the definitions there are sort of different uh terminologies low zero no reduced light and also these definitions have uh, differences according on the geographies in terms of operational definitions. So mostly in Europe, when we say no alcohol wine or no alcohol beverages, it's considered to be up to 0.5. But even in European Union, there is no harmonization in that. In Netherlands, it's 0.1, sorry. And in Norway, 0.7. In UK, 0.05. And if you're talking about dry markets, uh, basically for religious region, reasons, and the, the limit is 0.02, which is considered halal. Mm-hmm. But when you go to Japan, then it's 1%. Less than 1% is zero alcohol. So at the moment, only definition that we can kind of follow, in, especially in Europe, is OIV definitions. European Union follows the OIV definitions. And they recognize uh, dealkalized wines, but not in the wine category as a beverage. Um, so beverage made 
by dealkalized wines, it is um, no alcohol wine and it's up to 0.5. And then anything between that and 8.5 is considered as beverage made by a partial dealkalization. So it is still very confusing. Mm. And for this creates confusion for consumers, but also for the trades, because producers don't know what legislations they should follow or also problems for the labeling. It is a lot for them to get their head around, really, consumers and producers. So tell us about, because people have this, you know, misconception about um, non-alcoholic wine. They kind of think of it, some of them as, as fruit juice, you know, they don't understand the process and how complex it can be. So can you talk us through a little bit about the processes behind yeah, yeah behind Absolutely. it? And then also in the wine category, there's, as you said, there are different processes. There are fruit juice. They're basically based on grape must fruit, fruit juice. And they don't, they haven't gone through um, full alcoholic fermentation. And these products are mostly are sweet products because they don't go through the fermentation there's still sugar, which is not consumed by the yeast, and it's not uh, dry. Uh, but when we talk about no alcohol wine or low alcohol wine, uh, we take it like dealkalized wines as uh, our scope. And um, so when we're talking dealkalized wine, it goes the 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 grape mass goes through the full alcoholic fermentation. And then uh, that is really important because all the aromas and flavors they form during the fermentation mm-hmm. um, and then once you finish the wine post-fermentation it is it can be i mean once uh, right after post-fermentation or it can go through other aging steps and then it goes through a process to remove the alcohol and there are different ways of doing this it can be a reverse osmosis it can be a um, um, distillation low temperature distillation basically it depends on the molecular segregation of the alcohol and water we can separate sorry i'm going to stop you adam i think you've just lost all the listeners with molecular <laughs> segregation of the alcohol <laughs> no just just to stop you for a minute because we're going 100 million miles an hour <laughs> no no it's just so interesting because it's 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 all in your head and it's you know you just you just you know talk it out so fluidly um without thinking but a lot of what you're saying a lot of you know would lose consumers in terms of understanding um so i think the first point you made is really important which is like the difference between a fruit juice say a grape must uh, and a and a non-alcoholic wine is that you know we begin life as a non-alcoholic product. You begin life as a wine, if you like. So yeah. as you said, you're allowing the full fermentation to take place. And why is that important? It's because of what you just said. There is development of certain aroma and flavor, you know, uh, compounds during that process, which you can't achieve if you're just going to bottle a grape juice. Well, I think that's important for consumers to understand because a lot of people don't understand why is it so expensive? And the reason it's so expensive, relatively speaking, is because you have to uh, you have to go through the process of, of fermenting it into wine and then removing some of that alcohol, which, yeah. which is obviously co- a costly process. Yeah, and this is also very something very important. And if I go very technical, please rephrase it, Antonia. <laughs> so, uh, removing also adds a cost. We Either you do it in-house in your winery or you get a service provider. But the more costly part is when you remove the alcohol, there is a yield loss. Because you're removing the alcohol and that part 
is gone from your basic product. So you can have, you can lose 15% up to 30% of your volume. That's you huge. Can that onto the final pricing of that bottle. Of course, yeah. of course. I mean, that's a, that's a serious, has a serious financial implication for producer yeah. really when you think it's, of it. It's kind of but like the angels other... share in spirit. Is that what that would kind of be? It's Sorry? Completely... No, the way they call the angel share in spirits. Yes, definitely. Actually, yeah, this is like an angel share or the acquisition share. Definitely. That's a very good um, uh, analogy, Linda. But also on the other hand, there's the other side. When you don't have alcohol, you don't pay alcohol taxes. <laughs> then also you can make up that loss mm -hmm. in terms of finances. So I think also the producers need to be a little bit conscious of that and taking mm -hmm. into consideration that they don't pay alcohol tax, then they can also be a little bit more uh, consumer friendly, budget friendly in that final product. Oh. Um, Iram, you said something there. I, I think I got you right that it can, the wines can be aged. So they would, they do they age any of the wines that are going to be non-alcoholic in the end? Yes. Um, wow. So there's also, I mean, the, one of the other challenges is, I mean, once this product started years and years ago, uh, many producers, they were, and they still do it. They were dealkalizing, they're dealkalizing any wine that they cannot sell, or there's a demand of no alcoholic wine. And let's make, you know, an alcoholic wine from whatever I have. Uh, but then this leads uh, to very bad quality products. And then if you if your wine is not really uh, good enough in terms of quality, then after the deacquisition, you have to do lots of adjustment to make it drinkable. And in uh, one of the main, uh, I think, errors is uh, lots of sugar grape must addition to balance the loss of alcohol. But if you start with a really good quality product, no faults, and also, depending on what you want to achieve, if let's say if you want to achieve a like gastronomic dry style, let's say Chardonnay, then you can use an oak Chardonnay or a Chardonnay which has some aging in the bottle or without oak. So then you can have a really nice, good balance and palate mouthfeel to start with. Well, mm -hmm. that's really interesting. Okay, so you mentioned there, you touched on a couple of the different techniques used to make non-alcoholic and low alcohol. So you mentioned reverse osmosis and we have spinning cone. Can you tell us, is there one process that leads to a superior, like a better quality product over another, in your opinion? I think it depends. It depends on what you are expecting and depends on your initial alcohol level and the final alcohol level. For example, reverse osmosis is a process has been used for ages and many top houses, chateaus in even Bordeaux, they use reverse osmosis to lower the alcohol one degree, two degrees, or to kind of balance the, the alcohol. Uh, this is a very good process if you want to do alcohol adjustment. Uh, it's, you know, very, it, you, it, you don't really change much the organolytic profile of the product, but uh, you cannot go zero, zero with that. And there's, uh, because it's based on osmosis, you have lots of water waste. So if you want to go make a zero alcohol from 13, 14%, it's going to be very difficult. And you have to treat the wine several, several times. And it's not very sustainable because you have uh, a water waste. Um, so 
if you want, if you're looking for a zero alcohol, then obviously spinning cone column or low temperature vacuum distillation, it's a better uh, choice. So there are different techniques and depending on what you, uh, what you're expecting to do or your budget, you can use either or. Currently we use low temperature uh, vacuum distillation in all our locations because we think that is the most gentle process. Mm-hmm. And, so this uh, low temperature vacuum distillation that exactly. Vent Zero offer or practice. Yeah, exactly, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. And in one pass, uh, we can separate three fractions, zero, zero, aroma fraction and alcohol. And um, and then the alcohol is rectified. So your yield loss is much less and then it makes a much balanced product and you need to, um, you are spending mm, much less time or efforts to adjust that product. So it's we think that it's a cleaner um, okay. result. So the product is is less manipulated as yes. such. Yeah. 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 And then yeah. you have less waste as well with, with yeah. vacuum distillation load at yeah. low temperature. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Because I think it's too technical to really explain or to get into the details of what is the difference between uh, reverse osmosis, spinning cone, and low uh, low temperature vacuum distillation. I think we would just absolutely boggle the minds of the listeners mm-hmm. with that. But just, I think just in terms of a, a summary, you know, yeah. So more waste, I suppose, with the reverse osmosis, you can't go to 0% alcohol. You can only bring your alcohol down by a degree or two. What's the maximum? Or several degrees. Or several degrees, yeah. right, okay. Mm-hmm. And then, okay. All right. Um, and then to talk about a little bit more about the market performance of no and low, so, you know, how is it doing? Who is drinking known low now? Um, so just to, to give an idea of how is it doing, uh, especially after this um, this conference of three days, wine consumption or wine sales in, in volume is decreasing. So it is decreasing 4% in comparison to the last two years. So there is like a negative growth. But the no alcohol segment is increasing. So there's like 20% growth within the same time, same periods of wine consumption is decreasing and no and low is uh, outgrowing. However, it doesn't mean that this is like an amazing uh, number because still is a very niche market. The category is small and no alcohol wine is only 1.2% of the entire wine category. Uh-huh. But still very small, but the acceleration rate is, is very uh, high. And basically there are like key markets, like 10 key markets um, that these products are entering to their growth phase um, and different consumer types. Um, IWSR now um, categorizes the consumers in four different categories. Abstainers, abstainers are like no alcohol. Uh, mm-hmm. The first category that we were mentioning. We call them in Ireland teetotalers. Yeah, teetotalers. <laughs> is that is that is that unique to us in Ireland, Linda, or is that do they or do they use that elsewhere? Teetotalers. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I, I think is it not in the UK as well? No. Okay, could be. Okay. I use it in US as well when I was living yeah. in the US. Uh, yeah, I, actually, there's one wine called teetotaler. In US, um, yeah, it's an American brand. Oh right, okay. Yeah. Um, but now, I mean, obviously, in, in now there are like three more categories. There's blenders. Blenders are in the same occasion they switch between no alcohol and low alcohol. 
For example, oh. I did that uh, two weeks ago. I was in the IWSC award ceremony, gala dinner. And the, for the first time this year, they paired this three course dinner with normal strength wine and mm-hmm. no, no alcohol wine. So in the same food pairing, we have been switching between normal wine and no alcohol wine. That's really interesting. Um, Mm. So we have been, everyone who did that was blenders. And then there is uh, switchers, depending on different occasion, they go either low or no and full strength. And then there's one more uh consumer type which i cannot remember at the moment <laughs> that's okay It'll come yeah, back to I, remember, end. I will tell you yeah that's fine um, uh, yes, okay. i remember i remember trailers try sorry trialers so uh you drink normally normal alcohol but you're curious and you are here and there you try ah okay that, that's um, something i've been hearing a lot about uh sober curious um, mm-hmm. And where people are who would normally drink alcohol are exploring a night out where they don't drink and they're being more mindful of their health and, and what they're doing. They might have something on the next day and they're just kind of going out socially, but not actually drinking. And it's it's something I I, I was reading a lot about. And I listened to um, a girl do a, a, a podcast as well, or not a podcast, a, a kind of a Zoom call, um, talking to people about her book and everything. So I'm definitely going to explore that further. So people trialing, um, you know, not drinking when they normally would. Yeah. 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 What 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 are the key markets at uh, M for for No and Low at the moment? Um, so Germany and mm. Europe is one of the most important markets in terms of no alcohol wine and mostly sparkling. UK is a very important market, key market, very dynamic, and all sorts of categories: no alcohol spirits and functional beverages as well. Um, and US is a very important market. Uh, mm-hmm. I think these are the top three. Uh, but in Europe also, uh, France is really uh, getting dynamic and in increasing the consumption of no and low. Spain, Spain started like paved the way with no alcohol beer as mm. a huge no alcohol beer market. And the consumer is really used to that. So now wine is also entering. Uh, Nordics, because there's so much tenders in monopolies about no and low alcohol denmark is a very good market and recently uh, japan japan is increasing and in japan uh, what is the increase the increasing category is no alcohol and there are more abstainers there uh, in comparison to the other countries Okay. And what are the brands that are putting or can you name them some of the brands that are putting no and low on the map yeah. So there's also a very, like it's at the moment, it's a brand driven category. There's so many small boutique brands or startups mm-hmm. uh, versus like well-known brands. And one of my, I mean, my favorite ones in the small uh, startup uh, brands is um, Ish. And Ish. Ish. Yes. How do you spell it? Ish. I-S-H. Ah, Okay. So I love that branding. That is amazing. They started with non-alcoholic spirits first. Uh, so they have gin-ish. Mm-hmm. 
but it will be better if you mix it with gin because you know i was like why bother uh but now <laughs> after that after like going through this process i understand or i can i can kind of understand the need because you know what when you are there is like this beverage drinkers soft drink drinkers and water drinkers but when they're out in a social group they don't want to be an outsider mm -hmm. so they rather prefer to have a, a glass like a wine glass in front of them and then everyone from outside they think that they dr they're drinking wine yeah but, yeah uh, know, that makes sense you know. to me i know and i do accept that i am one of a, a certain <laughs> demographic and a category a very specific category of wine consumer so would is it safe to say then at m that it's really um that the younger demographic is the most interesting target market for no and low at the moment at the moment yes it started with the gen z but now also we see that the, you know the older demographics also as uh, trying uh, this product uh, but yeah at the moment is younger demographics are leading those this category yeah um, okay. Antonia, I suppose people our age, like when we go out, it is just kind of automatically assumed unless you're sick, you're pregnant, like I was saying at the beginning, you know, you're going to have a glass of wine. There's no reason why you wouldn't. And then if somebody offers you a non-alcoholic wine, it's like, what? You know, it's it's not really on our radar at all. Um, unless like I went to your house for something and I had I brought a non-alcoholic beer because I was driving and it just felt weird because you were sitting around having a few glasses of wine. And I know that that shouldn't be an issue, but it's such a big deal, especially working in the wine trade. But I think um, like there's so many more things where we could go with this. But, you know, I think in the wine trade, when you're working in it, you know, there's an awful lot of wine consumed and it's really socially acceptable in Ireland to always have a drink no matter where you're going, no matter what you're doing. And even like non-alcoholic beers coming in pubs and them being, you know, seen as looking like a Guinness, looking like a Guinness, you know, it, it makes a difference yeah. when you're holding a glass of wine that isn't wine, it's de-alcoholized or it's 0.5%. Yeah. You feel socially acceptable and not awkward and people aren't at you. They're not saying, oh, what's wrong with you? You know, it's a yeah. terribly cultural yeah. yeah yeah no i agree with you i think in ireland um there you know we are starting to embrace non-alcohol a lot more now but i think it's definitely driven by beers by the beer industry yeah. here at the moment more than mm -hmm. the wines and spirits but i do see that changing i definitely agree um uh right okay so so like what are producers doing then at M to sort of expand the reach and turn or what are marketeers doing? I mean, you were talking about that ish brand and and then you were also, I mean, we we were talking before when you were in Portugal and you mentioned and without naming names that there was a specific brand that caught your attention and it was very much targeted to the designated driver, I think. Mm -hmm. So yeah. so is that that's pigeonholing? maybe the product or the category too much. So are, what else are marketeers or producers doing to try and get away from that image? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, so yes, uh, I think what they're, the producers are mostly doing, and especially there's a big difference again between the small brand owners because they're more out of the box. And actually those small brand owners, they're coming from different categories as well, Spritz World um, 2 or soft drink, soft beverage category. So they're a little bit more creative, I think. And they're basically taking, like their main thing is connection, connection mm -hmm. and storytelling. Uh, rather than targeting to a specific group of people, like 
drivers or pregnant or religious people they're like trying to create connection with with across demography demographics and more occasion based you know now these drinks are more occasion based there are there are non-alcoholic wines in the festivals music festivals or sangre toro torres again i'm going to use that example because this is a very different example it's a big brand wine brand was born in 1954 very mature brand and the like drink target is like really uh, you know gen x uh and not even millennials but they launched a zero zero version of sangre toro and 5.5 and they also made a collaboration with the spanish um football club and then zero zero can be sold in also the uh, you know the the football matches sports yeah yeah i think, I think that's a good connection and occasion I think that's really clever. And I also think it's really clever what you said about the IWSC dinner and mm-hmm. like positioning it that way, sneaking it into sort of um, tasting menus as a food and wine pairing, I think is really clever. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, um, Naughty, uh, sorry, Thompson, Naughty, Thomas yeah. and Scott, um, Amanda, the CEO there, like her, some of her wines are on wine list now in amongst other normal wines in the sparkling category. And I yeah. think that's really you know, it's 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 nice to see and it's really interesting. I'd say she had hard work to kind of fight for it to be displayed on a menu like like a normal one, like a normal wine. Yeah. Um, but she's just saying it's a drink that just happens to have no alcohol, you know, rather yeah. than being I was gonna mention Naughty. I love that brand. And also I think it's also the owner is also a, like kind of different backgrounds. She's also a diploma holder, wine yeah. experience diploma holder. And her uh, sparkling wine is the one and only non-alcoholic wine, which is in the wine list of Palm Isle 67 London. That's the restaurant, sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I don't know if you're allowed to mention names, but uh, I have it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I love that brand. And it's very, very dry, uh, very sparkling wine-like. Yeah, no, I, I, that's that's one of my favorites. That's what I would yeah. always have a bottle of that in, in the house. Yeah. And one name I want to mention, if you are looking for a red, red is very difficult, the most difficult. Uh, A recent brand, again, a UK-based brand, but produced in Spain, Zeno. And they have a Cabernet Sauvignon, and it is like a very Cabernet Sauvignon-like, dry and non-alcoholic wine. Okay. I don't think I've Yeah. Sorry, that's definitely one. The red, you can kind of get away with sparkling and white, but Mm. it's always been... Tricky. um, yeah. yeah, yeah, tricky. Good. And so Bev Zero are used to obviously offering dealkalization services and products to, you know, to companies and producers globally. And I'm sure the majority up until recently of that uh, client base has been based on on companies who want to make an, you know, a non-alcoholic, say, or a low alcohol. Mm-hmm. But do you find now increasingly uh, producers coming to you at, um, that because of climate change, that they're suffering from, you know, uh, above ordinary alcohol levels in their, in their still normal still wines, when I say normal, you know, normal ABV still wines and they just need help in bringing it down a degree or two. Yeah, definitely. And Bev Zero started 30 years ago in California for that purpose, actually. High levels uh-huh. of alcohol and sweet spotting, uh, going it to one degree or two degrees down and also tax purposes, because back then in US, there was higher alcohol taxes. And now 30 years later, we're in the same point because as of August 2023, UK alcohol taxes are higher. And mm-hmm. now we are doing alcohol adjustments 
one degree, two degree to go lower the alcohol the tax brackets. And also uh-huh. with the global warming, as the alcohol levels are increasing, we do lots of alcohol adjustment and producers ask for it because before they were picking early when you pick early you have this green uh, unripe mm-hmm. flavors so instead of picking early going through the full cycle having the full yeah. alcohol and then lowering it down one degree or two i see That's right good. and you mentioned the uk taxes so we know that the excise duty on on alcohol in the uk as of august 23 as you said has gone up. So what is the cutoff for alcohol? You know, what what alcohol levels are affected by the increase in tax? At the moment, it's 11.5. So between 11.5 and 14.5, you pay the same amount of Mm -hmm. tax and it reflects like 22 pennies per bottle. It's quite Mm -hmm. high. Uh, But their program is within the five years, they want to go into different alcohol levels, like 11.5 to 12.5, 12.5, 13.5. But now the cutout is 11.5. Uh huh. So you have importers, uh, uh, sorry, you have producers targeting the UK who who are um, proactively trying to bring their alcohol to below eleven and a half. Then yes, exactly. Linda, put the your hand the out there. No, it's just the tip of the iceberg here. With I think where this category is going to grow. Yeah. No one. Yeah. It's going to grow. Yeah, I think I think we've got definitely have a sense it um, from talking to you about you know the potential and the importance of this category going forward. So um yeah, I think we could have a whole other episode just to delve deeper. Interestingly, I was a judge, I have been a judge at the National Off License Awards for the last 12 years and for the first time this year they had a non-alcohol category, uh, sparkling white and uh, really interesting. Do you know that, you know, but the actual judges found it quite difficult to taste the regular wines after tasting them because of the higher sugar content. Yeah. That was just yeah. a, a by the way. OK, so before we wrap up, Adam, we have a most important question to ask you. Uh, Linda, our listeners will know Linda and I like to talk a lot about food and wine pairing. So we need to ask you to name one of your all time favorite food and wine pairings. Okay. Um, okay. This is gonna sound crazy. Hi. <laughs> it wouldn't be like you with them. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I have two all-time favorites. One is champagne and Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yes. Yes. Love it. And then the other one is port wine and chocolate, dark chocolate. Yeah. Of course. What kind but of port? It- what? Well, which type of port? Uh, vintage port. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, so like that, it's got to be vintage port. It's got to be champagne. Only the best of the best, right, Adam? I mean, yeah, best of, any... the best, best of the best with crab food, actually. Best of the best <laughs> you can't take a chicken. It can't be any sparkling, a cremant, cava, no. no straight because, champagne. No, you know what? It needs to be champagne because, look, can't take a fried chicken is so gross, but I need that <laughs> gross food sometimes in my life. And then this like oil is very well lifted by this very nice, elegant, fresh acidity of champagne. And there's all these like biscuity notes and toasted bread goes really well with the crust of um, the mm. fried chicken. So it wouldn't work with Prosecco, for example. Yes, I of course. You. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> but no, well, but it doesn't have to be vintage port. It can be any other like ruby ports or tawny ports. But yeah, uh, but if you're going for the dark chocolate, vintage port works well. But we can mm. be 
have flexibility there in the port category. You're flexible. <laughs> okay. Good to know for the next time you come to Ireland, it am and you stay over. But actually it's very ironic because I've been talking about Noel Law and I finished and uh, saying like I would go for a nineteen percent alcohol port. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say a bit of a contradiction. <laughs> Listen, it am thank you so much for your time. Uh, having had such a busy week, we really appreciate it. It's been so interesting and insightful to talk to you and uh, we look forward to having you on again and to seeing you in Ireland very soon. Thank, thank you so, you so much. much. And thank you so much. Looking forward to it again. Thanks so oh. much. Thanks, Adam. Take thank care. You. See you soon. So what do you think? We do these podcasts because we want you, our listeners, to know what's going on in the world of wine and be informed when it comes to your wine buying decisions. We always love hearing from you. So let us know your thoughts on Instagram and Twitter. Sign up for our newsletter. And if you haven't subscribed to Wine, the long and the short of it yet, make sure you do that wherever you get your podcasts. Or reach out to us by email at ourwinepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Antonia Dominguez. And I'm Linda Coogan. Cheers. Cheers. You have been listening to Wine, the long and the short of it with me, Antonia Dominguez. And me, Linda Coogan, in proud partnership with Give Wine a Future.